Before we start the show, quick plug. More than 40 million Americans speak Spanish, and millions more are learning. I'm still learning. For all of you, we'd like to recommend NPR's Radio Ambulante. It's the podcast to hear incredible stories from all over Latin America and across the U.S. It's hosted by novelist Daniel Alarcón. Radio Ambulante covers a region like nobody else, reporting and storytelling in Spanish. Radio Ambulante is on NPR One or wherever you listen to your podcast. Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week on the show, NPR congressional correspondent Susan Davis and the host of NPR's pop culture happy hour, Linda Holmes. All right, let's start the show. Hey, y'all. This is NPR. Sam Sanders here. It's been a minute. No theme music. Each week we begin with a different song. I'll explain this one in a second. But first, as Aunt Betty said, two great guests here with me at NPR headquarters in D.C. today. Sue Davis, hi, what's up? How you doing, Sam? Linda Holmes, how are you? Uh, Betty said my name. I'm so excited. She did. That's like your rite of passage. Sue covers Congress for NPR. Linda Holmes does so much for us. Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast, also the NPR Monkey See blog. You just were up all night covering the Emmys. Thanks for your service. I I was up all night. Yeah, that's true. Do you guys know this song? Of course I know this song. <laughs> this is like peak high school, Sue Davis. Would you change your attire? Get a farm like Hillshire with a honey like Mariah. Escape to the ranch. This is Mariah Carey's hit, Honey, from 1997. I'm playing it today, not just because I love her, but because the album that this song comes from, Butterfly, it just turned 20. Wow. Butterfly came out September 16th, 1997. I remember when this video came out, Linda, they were doing the premieres on MTV where every hour, seven minutes after the hour, they would show the video again, like another world premiere of this Mariah Oh, yeah. That was very very common old school video treatment. I was going to say, when you say honey, it makes me think of the Jessica Alba movie (laughs) where it was one of the many, one of the many movies about saving the community center. That's right. (laughs) You got to save the community center. Got to save the community center. She gets inspiration for dance moves from basketball players. It's crazy. So also, this was a good week for Mariah Carey because she was honored at the Hip Hop Honors this week. Uh, And the reason they honored her is because, like, she was the first really big pop star that collaborated a lot with rappers. Yeah. yeah. So there were R&B singers doing this all the time. But as far as, like, the pop royalty, like Celine, Mariah, etc., this album featured so many other rappers. There's a really great Washington Post write-up from my friend Bethany Butler all about what Mariah means to hip hop. Keen listeners to the Politics Podcast will have heard me mention my love for Mariah there. I'm yeah. a proud member of the Lamily. She calls her fans her lambs. I'm one of them. Oh, wow. Mariah, bless you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, first, we'll start the show as we always do. I want each of us to describe our week of news and how it all felt in just three words. Linda, you are up to this challenge. Yes, I am. <laughs> so my three words are how to help. Uh, I feel like the news right now is an unending stream of people trying to figure out how to address themselves to various crises, whether it is hurricanes, earthquakes, some sense of political urgency. I feel like uh, most of my Twitter feed right now is a stream of uh, strategizing to try to help people wrap their arms around things that feel too big to handle. Um, Obviously, there's a tremendous amount of natural disaster recovery uh, going on right now. Um, 
and a lot of, as I said, political turmoil. And there's almost this kind of whiplash because once you set your mind to focus on one thing, something else crazy happens. And it's just hard to keep track, I feel like. Yeah, I think panic fatigue is Mm. a really difficult thing right now. Yeah, I think a lot of people just feel like every day there's something else to panic about. Mm -hmm. And um, I do think people become weary and then they feel guilty about everything that gives them any respite. Yeah. And you actually really need that, I think. Um, you need the hashtag self care. You do, and and I and it's really hard. Yeah. I think for people to say, I really need a bubble bath while other people are suffering. But the thing is, I, you know, I personally would rather have you go all day, be trying to be helpful when you can, and then take your bubble bath and do it again tomorrow, yes. and just wear yourself out to the point where you're just mentally and exhausted and, and miserable all yes. the time. Because because where does that? Get you. This got very philosophical. My hey, point is I'm fine with it. <laughs> how to help. That's how the news feels to me. All right. Sue? My three words this week are never say never. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, you know, I cover Congress and I'm covering the health care bill and we can talk more about that. But not just beyond the health care bill coming back when everybody thought it was dead. And this and is the Obamacare repeal. Yeah, for the Republicans' effort to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. And that's been dead two or three times this year yeah. and it keeps coming back. And so people keep asking me, what do you, what's going to happen? Is it going to pass? Is it going to fail? And I'm like, you know, never say never to these <laughs> things. We have a, a Senate race happening right now in Alabama where one of the candidates that might win not too long ago, I think, is someone, Roy Moore, who's a very controversial former former Supreme Court justice, state Supreme Court justice. This is a guy who justice. was removed because he wouldn't take down the statue of the Ten he's, Commandments. Yes, he's known as the Ten Commandments judge, who I think someone not too long ago would have been seen as someone who was never going to be a candidate for the United States Senate. He may well be representing Alabama in the United States Senate sometime soon. Even things like, is Kid Rock going to run for the Senate? <laughs> is These questions that we get that keep percolating up in politics, and it always seems like the unexpected keeps happening. So you want to be predictive in politics, right? You mm-hmm. want to sound smart. You want to feel like yeah. you know what's going to happen. People are always asking yeah. you who's going to win the race. What do you think is going to happen? But this ain't the time for that. It's just not the time for that. And <laughs> I've just given up the prediction game. And I just feel like it's like the when you get caught in a riptide, if you fight it, it's going to exhaust you. You yeah. just got to relax. So my three words are, where is Elton? John? Yeah. I asked that is there once a week. <laughs> Who was the other one? Who's, other, who's the other <laughs> I Elton? I can come up with one. Give me time. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm usually asking this question once a month just because I love him. But this week in particular, uh, the phrase Rocket, Rocket Man, Man has been in the ether. Oh, yeah. Donald Trump tweeted about North Korean leader Kim Jong-un uh, a while back and called him Rocket Man. And then in his speech to the General Assembly of the U.N., he called Kim Jong Un Rocket Man. He's really trying to Again. make it happen. He's trying to make it happen. It's fetch. It's his fetch. For, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's his fetch. fetch. And so I say, where is Elton? Because I feel like there would have been a time where this would have demanded outrage from people, and someone like Elton John, who made the phrase Rocket Man famous with his song, would come out and tweet, "Stop! This is crazy." But Elton didn't say anything, and it felt like the response to Trump saying Rocket Man yet again was a little muted. And my question in all of this is like, are we all becoming a little numb to the tone of the president's rhetoric? I don't know enough about what Elton John is up to these days to know whether (laughs) that's what his situation is. Yeah, But I do think there's a perception that maybe responding every time Mm. To, not worth it. to that level of of kind of just f- stuff that doesn't feel serious 
is not helpful. Um, and it's not that it's not serious in consequences. It's that yes. it's not serious in tone. Yes. And one of the things that I was telling people during the election season was that there are times when I feel like people confuse um, the idea that your politics are angry with mm-hmm. the idea that your politics are serious. Yeah. And the fact that your politics are angry doesn't necessarily mean they're intellectually serious. And I feel like there are times when people have the perception that if something is not you know, how much is the benefit of going back and saying, I really wish that a president on Twitter wouldn't use this kind of tone? Because I think polls have demonstrated that a wide variety of people often feel that way, including people who support him politically. Yeah. I don't know that there's a lot of benefit in in saying that over and And over again. And it doesn't change. It doesn't change. In some ways, I think the more you say it, the more it irks people, the more Mm -hmm. people do it. And I don't say that just based on him. I say that based on lots of people on Twitter, where it seems like the idea is to get a rise out of people. The more you get a rise out of people, the more you do it. Exactly. So I don't know. Yeah. I I think I agree with what Linda said, too. And I also think, and we saw this a lot in the campaign, is that I often think – we confuse or conflate rudeness with telling the truth. Mm. Oh boy, and that is straight out of reality television. Yes, that is I'm not here to one, be polite. And I'm guess not who came out of reality friends. television? That is 100 percent yes. right out of reality yeah. television. Not, the the keeping friends. it real aspect. Yeah. Yes, the, and I think that yeah. that's his. And people like that, right? Like that's what makes reality what television from. interesting. Yeah. that's what makes heroes and villains and stories. So it seems, I think, sometimes immature, or maybe it was just kind of caught everyone when he said that. Everyone was like, "Wait, what?" Yeah. But the fact that Everyone's talked about it all week. Yeah. Tune in to the next episode. Kim Jong's responded. Kim Jong's responded. And it really did provoke a conversation on North Korea. Now, that conversation might be between people who are like, he's not doing a good job. He's doing yeah. – Trump's not doing this right. He's doing it right. He's doing yeah. it wrong. But I always think Trump is much more masterful at making us talk about the things he wants to talk about than we realize. Yeah. It's the ethic of reality television that all restraint is cowardly. Mm. And so when people have no restraint, people perceive them as brave and not weak. Yes. Yeah. Huh. All right. Before we take a quick break, I want to send some good vibes to people suffering from natural disasters and crazy weather throughout the world right now. As Linda said, people of Mexico City and surrounding areas there still reeling from this week's earthquake that killed more than 270 people uh, and people in the Caribbean feeling the effects of Hurricane Maria, sending good vibes to everyone affected. All right. We'll hold right here so we can take a quick break. We'll be back with Long Distance, where we call a listener and see what's up in their neck of the woods. And we'll swap stories, our story swap, where we each share a news story from the week that was. BRB. Support for this podcast and the following message come from WordPress.com. Creating your website on WordPress.com helps your customers find you, remember you, and connect with you. At WordPress.com, you'll find hundreds of beautiful designs, the ability to add a custom domain name, and features to make your business more visible online. Using the technology that powers 28% of all websites. Get 15% off your new website today at WordPress.com minute. Support also comes from Lyft, reminding listeners that they could be relaxing in a Lyft ride right now, with their eyes closed, listening to Beethoven, or whale sounds, or a babbling brook, or something else relaxing. Lyft provides rides as relaxing as the buttery smooth voice of a public radio announcer, because riding is just a more relaxing way to drive. Lyft. It matters how you get there. Download and ride today. 
We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders, here with Linda Holmes, the host of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast, and NPR congressional correspondent Susan Davis. Now it's time for a thing we do every week, long distance. It's where we call a listener out in the country and talk about what's going on in their neck of the woods. Today on the line from the St. Louis area, we have Pedro. Pedro, are you there? Yeah, right here. Hey, man. How are you? Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you, too. All is good over here. It's a beautiful day today, so I'm not complaining. Good, good. You're on the phone with my friends Sue and Linda. Say hi, guys. Hey. Hey. How's it going? Going good. So we should clarify where you are. Tell folks where you are. Yeah, so I am, well, I'm a native of St. Louis, Missouri, but um, I'm currently in Jefferson City, Missouri, in our beautiful state capital. Because you work in the Capitol. It's pretty awesome. I work in, I work in the Capitol. I'm a legislative assistant to um, a wonderful state representative, Warren Arthur, out of Missouri's 18th district, uh, which is uh, North Kansas City area. So, now, were, oh. so were you born there? Because I noticed you don't say Missouri. <laughs> no, I was not born here. So I was actually born in Lima, Peru, and um, my family immigrated to the United States um, in the early 90s. I was like one and a half years old after we were targeted by um, by guerrilla warriors. Oh. So so that's why you don't say <laughs> Missouri. <laughs> that is, yeah, yeah. That's why I don't say Missouri in this setting. Uh-huh. Right. So, Pedro, we're talking today because uh, you've been kind of involved in these protests over uh, a police officer uh, shooting and killing a black man. A, a, a verdict came out this week in that case for Jason Stockley, a white police officer. He killed a black man named Anthony Lamar Smith after a car chase over a suspected drug deal. Prosecutors said Stockley planted a gun on Smith and then executed him. Stockley maintains that Smith reached for the gun and that he shot in self-defense. This case uh, has had protests going on for the last week because uh, Stockley was found not guilty. Um, And there's some weird features of this case that just really make it stand out, for me at least. There's audio uh, before the shooting where Stockley, the police officer, screams that he was going to, quote, kill this Anyways, there's all these protests going on right now, and you're kind of involved, but not quite involved. Tell me about that. Yeah, exactly. So um, when the verdict came out a week ago to the day, almost to the hour, oh wow! um, and I started consulting, you know, just asking around my friends, seeing, you know, just telling them my situation. I'm a green card holder, um, and previously I've been told to not get involved with demonstrations. Why? Um, because I could potentially compromise my uh, my status as a green card holder. If I get charged with a felony, that's mm-hmm. grounds for um, me to lose my green card and then for me to potentially be deported mm-hmm. to a country that I, have, uh, that I really don't know at all. Um, so I put up a status on Facebook saying that I am headed to the store to buy a few cases of water and snacks. If anyone would like to Venmo me a few dollars, so how much you get? I got a hundred dollars in like ten minutes. Wow! Just through the just through friends and through apps. So that was more than that was enough for fourteen cases of water, um, a few boxes of fruit snacks, and some peanut butter crackers that I took down there and posted up on a corner, made a sign, the self care station, um, on the corner of Tucker and Market on the first day of the demonstration. And how did folks respond um, to it? Very, very well. I mean. 
I will admit that I might have been a little bit aggressive in just how I was handing things out because, like, I was totally taking on that uh, role that my mom normally plays as, you know, that mother that's just following you around, Mm -hmm. making sure that you're eating, making Mm -hmm. sure that you're drinking water. Yeah. I have a question for you. Um, Sure. The picture you're painting for me uh, seems pretty awesome and people coming together and getting along. But there's been some visuals on TV that seem to be in direct opposition to that. Uh, There's footage of some protesters or whoever throwing rocks through windows at the mayor's house in St. Louis, um, windshields of police vehicles being smashed. There have been multiple arrests. What is the real situation happening down there? Are both of these things true? Which is more prevalent from what you've seen? You know, I'm really glad that you brought that up just because that's probably been the hardest pill to swallow in this entire situation. But, um, you know, those images that we see, I wouldn't even give those images the dignity of associating them with the protests because... um, But you know that tons of people will, though, right? I mean, like, as soon as that footage is out there, people assume it's it's part of... And it's tragic just, just, just because we have learned as a city so much just just from our actions in Ferguson, there has been time to organize and to plan more. Yeah. So those images that that we see are not even associated with these demonstrations. Hmm. Those are people that will take it one step further, gotcha. one step too far. I have been watching these protests go on for years. I've covered some of them. I was in Ferguson. I was in Baltimore. Do you think they work? We are having the same conversations about the same kind of police-involved shootings and deaths that we were having five or six years ago. I 100% believe that they work. And like I mentioned earlier, it's not a change that will come overnight. But just the fact that we have people's attention, I mean, presence is everything. And then having people like, like you, Sam, that, you know, ask people to go one step further and ask themselves, why do we think this is happening? You know, that really is important. Hey, well, what are you going to do for fun this weekend? I have a wedding to go to. My One of my weddings. best friends is getting married here in St. Louis. So nice. one of my best friends from college. So congratulations to Whitney and Patrick. And then do you mind if I say one more thing that I think is oh, yeah, very important within all this? Yeah. You know, people of color, um, we have such a large burden on us to always constantly have to prove our humanity by being the best version of ourselves. And that is a burden that is way too big for people like us to carry. But if we just focus on being ourselves and embracing, just being vested in it and accepting it and stepping forward with it, that's when we are able to be the best versions of ourselves without focusing on that. Petra, thank you. Thanks thank for you this. so much. This was a, thank this you was so a much for listening to my story. Have a good weekend. Enjoy that wedding. Dance extra hard just for me. I will dance real hard. All right, man. <laughs> Have care. a good weekend. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. My last point on this, and I think it's one that is not talked about enough, the legal threshold that it takes to find a police officer guilty of a murder or manslaughter, it's just higher. Um, They in court just need to prove that they felt threatened. Um, That is not the same standard that's held to civilians like you and me. And I'm not sure that protests in the streets of St. Louis get at that underlying legal issue that is probably the biggest reason why people keep seeing verdicts like those. And I think there's one question as to what's the legal threshold, and mm-hmm. then there's another question of what's the effective threshold, what's the yeah. practical threshold. Yeah. 
And I think you could argue that the practical threshold often seems to be even higher um, because people are so hesitant to to question the the word of people who are in law enforcement a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, listeners, want to talk to you for this segment. If you want us to give you a call and hear about anything going on where you live, drop us a note. Tell me what's happening. SamSanders at NPR.org. Now it's time for our story swap. We're each going to go around the table and share a new story from the week that was. I'm going to go first. Y'all, I did my homework and studied up on UNGA. Come again? UNGA, the oh, UN, UN General yeah, Assembly. Yeah. Hashtag UNGA. Hashtag UNGA, yes. So this week, as we all know, New York was overwhelmed with world leaders and diplomats for the General Assembly of the United Nations. Uh, Tuesday, Trump addressed that crowd. He called Kim Jong-un rocket man, as we discussed before. He also said if the U.S. is forced to defend itself or its allies, quote, we will have no choice but to totally destroy North Korea. That's a lot. But what I found interesting is that in spite of that, some of what he said seemed to support the mission of the U.N., a group that he had previously during the campaign said was useless and worthless. He kind of echoed this op-ed in The Wall Street Journal that was written by two of his assistants this year, H.R. McMaster and Gary Cohn, kind of like uh, basically America first doesn't mean America alone. And he supported the idea in some cases of uh, this global community working together to solve some problems. It was quite the juxtaposition. How did you guys feel about that, Linda? I feel like anytime I see him come out and make a public statement, it's hard to know whether that's the public statement for good. Yes. Not because, not just because of the changeability of his own mind, but because he is subject to such different forces inside the the administration, and he seems, it seems yeah. like. And he seems to be affected, like, whoever was in his office last kind of gets the last word, it seems. Sometimes. And he's not the only person who's ever been described that way, certainly. Yes. But I do think when you have that going on, I think more clearly than with some other administrations, you feel the push-pull of different forces. Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily feel like that speech means that's where he is. It totally. means that speech is who's winning that day. Yeah. It represents who inside yeah. the yeah. administration is winning that day. Yeah. And it, it, it doesn't mean he doesn't mean it. It just means <sighs> it's a weird – it's hard for me to take those public statements to mean any anything other than – this is the position of of, of the one day. of the of, well right and of one of these groups mm-hmm. and it's hard to tell how firm that group's grasp is yeah. on him. Oh yeah. That's why the thing that I would most want to know that's the hardest thing to know is I'm I'm actually less interested in how people in the US feel about his speech and mm. more about how it was absorbed around the world. Exactly. Donald Trump just like captivates the world stage. I yeah, mean, he yeah. captivates the media here, but the fact that Donald Trump is the president of the United States has captivated the, the entire, entire world. world. Yeah. And I don't I don't know how that was received from the totally. global community. So funny story. I called up Jeff Bennett. He covers the White House for NPR and he was at hashtag Anga all week. And I was like, Jeff, what was it like in the room? And he said, all these world leaders, as soon as Trump began to take the stage, they turned around and began to snap selfies with Trump in the background. Like, as much as it was a foreign policy speech, it was also just like a celebrity event yeah. and a spectacle. And Donald Trump was famous around the world before he became totally, president and, the, totally. and was known around the world. And I don't know, and this is the thing I wish I could know, how seriously the world takes Donald Trump. 
Yeah. You know, to be fair, President Trump did receive some positive feedback on this speech as well. He actually got some kind words from the leader of Afghanistan, uh, President Ashraf Ghani, using part of his speech to praise Trump's relatively newly announced strategy for Afghanistan and South Asia, which is to basically base the U.S.'s engagement there on conditions and not timelines. So Afghanistan said, we agree. We like Trump on this. That's good. He did a little waffling on the status of the Iran nuclear deal. Iran's leaders in the global community have basically said this deal has to stay. And Trump says he hasn't decided yet if he wants to stay in or not. And he'll tell us later. But that he's made up his mind. Yes. He just okay. hasn't told, hasn't again, told yeah. us. Reality, Reality TV. Yeah. Yeah. Stay tuned. My biggest question coming out of all of this is if you peel back the weird rhetoric and strange flashes of Trump speak. Um, it seems as if a lot of the nuts and bolts of what he was saying this week is in line with Republican foreign policy orthodoxy. No? Yeah, I, I thought it was a provocative speech, but I thought it was in line philosophically with essentially everything he campaigned on and yeah. largely with the philosophy of the Republican Party in terms of U.S. dominance around the world and also the view, uh, which I think is widely shared in the Republican Party beyond Donald Trump, uh, at frustration at the United Nations and at the frustration that the U.S. has been the largest contributor to all these causes. And that's like a regular fight that comes up every year where people want to cut off funding to the U.N. and we have these debates and they usually don't go anywhere. But I don't think that that this the ideas that he expressed are not reflective of just himself. They are certainly reflective of a larger worldview that yeah. represents a lot of people in this country and the and, a, and the party that represents the entire federal government. Yeah. After I put the script for this uh, show to bed last night, got an email from Brent saying, "Hold up, hold up, hold up." Kim Jong Un responded to Trump's provocative statements about North Korea and said uh, of Trump, "Quote: A frightened dog barks louder." He also said, I will surely and definitely tame the mentally deranged U.S. dotard with fire. Did I say that right? I have an addendum to that. <laughs> okay. So my husband actually sent me this email while we we're in this podcast where it says the Korean original statement said this word in Korean, which means old beast lunatic, which was translated into dotard. dotard. So wow. he did not, his original intention was old beast lunatic, not oh. dotard, which sounds yeah. Or doddered. I don't know how you It'd be funny if they yeah. both weren't talking about nuclear war. <laughs> yeah. All right. Sue, you got a story, the story domestically of the week, it yeah. seems. So the Republican effort to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act, a.k.a. Obamacare, is back. And to back the surprise of pretty Everybody. much everyone, including Republican leaders in Congress. Uh, what brought it back? So there, the two lead senators on this are Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina and Bill Cassidy of Louisiana, two Republicans. You remember the dramatic failure of health care back in July where John McCain cast a late night decisive vote and the bill went down. And that was seen as the end of the Republican effort to repeal and replace Obamacare. Party leaders even said they wanted to pivot to taxes and we're moving on. So they go home for August. Mm-hmm. And as it turns out, they heard it. From their voters. From their base. They heard it from their base. They heard it from the people that elected them, and they heard it from their donors. They heard it from the people that write the checks. And so they dropped this bill last Wednesday. And I got to tell you, when they announced it, everyone was like, whatever, you know, it's not going to happen. And then it slowly started to build because, one, I think enough rank-and-file Republicans were saying to leaders— We got to do something. We got to do one more shot. Mm. We got to take one more shot. And Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, said to these senators, you know, we got to have 50 votes. Show me the 50 votes. So— 
They're in the process of seeing if they can come together and find 50 votes. By September 30th. By September 30th. Uh, so we should know in the coming days whether or not they have these votes. And if they do, they're going to vote on this bill, which ironically, what I don't think was anticipated from the very beginning of this fight, is actually the most fundamentally yeah. changing, disruptive health care totally. bill of all. All the options that had been put on the table all along. It's the most repeally of the repeals. It is the most repeally of the repeals. And let's break down some of what's in the bill. And you correct me where I'm wrong because I'll be wrong. Um, This bill ends Medicaid expansion by 2026. Yes. It eliminates federal health insurance exchanges. It gets rid of the individual mandate. Also gets rid of the subsidies that help people pay for these policies. Uh, So, And it turns a lot of Obamacare money that was federal into block grants for the states, which basically means they get the money and they can do with it what they will to ensure health care outcomes. So it pretty much totally takes Does it Obamacare do that just away. with Obamacare or also with Medicaid? The entire Medicaid system. Okay. Yeah. So it takes Medicaid and makes it all block grants yeah. too? Yeah. The thing we haven't mentioned is that this bill is being passed under the budget reconciliation process, which basically means Republicans can do it with only 50 votes, but they need to do it by September 30th the end of the fiscal year. The other thing you have to think about why I think this debate will get much more passionate and personal if this bill does move forward is remember that who Medicaid takes care of. Yes, the Medicaid expansion got more single childless people into health care, but Medicaid by design covers the most vulnerable people in the country. Half of all births in this country are covered by Medicaid. Huh. It covers children with disabilities and it covers older Americans who are in nursing homes. Uh. So when you're talking about cutting that program and the people affected by it, are some of the most vulnerable and also some of the most politically active people. If you have a child with disabilities who benefits from Medicaid, you are very plugged into this debate. I don't know if this bill is going to happen, but if it does, I think we're going to see a much bigger fight over Medicaid and how we take care of the most vulnerable people in society. Not to mention how important who will take care of my parents is to a lot of uh, middle-aged yeah. people who Especially are also politically right now. active. Yeah. Yeah. If you also remember, too, all the other Republican plans that it put on the table, the House bill that passed and the three versions that came up in the Senate and all failed, mm-hmm. all of them kept the fundamental structure of Obamacare in Which place. Which was? In that the government, they get rid of the mandate. They just stop telling you you have to buy insurance. But they create a system of incentives, of tax credits mm-hmm. to make you want to buy mm-hmm. uh, health insurance, to encourage you into the market. This just blows up the structure of Obamacare in the most complete way of any of the proposals on the table and includes the most radical reformation of an entitlement program since the entitlement programs came into existence, the entitlements being Medicaid, Medicare, Social Security, the social safety net. It is the most radical reimagining of a significant part of the social safety net. This bill also affects roughly the estimates are about one sixth of the United States economy. This isn't just about health care. This is about the entire uh, economic market. And it dropped last Wednesday. Hmm. And if it happens, it's going to happen within days of introduction. And with no scoring from the CBO, Congressional right. Budget Office, We're gonna to have see how many people are affected. Minimal uh, independent estimates on how many people will cover, what the economic outputs would be. And I would say with not that much or with very little vetting in the public. You yeah. know, I, I, and I also think because the bill has failed so many times before, there's there's this sort of like, oh, it's not going to happen. It may not happen. But it might happen. It it may not happen, but it might happen. You know, my biggest question, it revolves around this fight between Dr. Cassidy, the um, the sponsor of this bill, and Jimmy Kimmel over whether or not this bill ensures, I guess, baseline coverage for people with preexisting conditions. Kimmel says it doesn't. Cassidy says it does. 
who was right. And also, I want you, Linda, to comment on the weirdness of that whole argument. Yeah. First, I want Sue to, to explain about yeah. the pre-existing conditions under the bill. It's complicated, but it's really important because I think this is one of the most crystallizing issues for yes. people in this debate. The Republican sponsors of this bill say it won't affect people with pre-existing conditions. Okay. Because in the bill, if a state wants to opt out of the coverage mandates that protect people with pre-existing conditions. The 10 baseline things you have to the do. The 10 essential health benefits. It's when Obamacare became the law, the, the intention of the law was to make sure that not only that people had health care, but that they had good health care. Yeah. That you weren't just buying a junk plan that didn't cover anything when you went to the doctor. So all insurance plans offered in the market have to cover a baseline level of things like mental health care, hospital services, Pregnancy. prescription drugs, maternity care, the things that people need the most in their yes. life. This bill doesn't get rid of them. What it does is allow states the avenue to go to the HHS secretary, the Health and Human Services secretary, and ask to waive out of certain requirements. But in order to get that waiver, they have to prove, and in the words of the bill, they have adequate and affordable alternatives Mm, to cover. That's kind of muddy. Mm -hmm. But it's muddy. So this is where I think Outside analysts and and people that understand healthcare are saying Jimmy Kimmel is more right than wrong than Bill Cassidy, because at the very least it is weakening those protections. Gotcha. It is getting rid of the federal guardrails and it's giving a lot of latitude to the states and not a lot of statutory definition about what adequate or affordable means. Yeah, and that's. I guess break down the major nuts and bolts of the Jimmy Kimmel situation. It stems from his son's healthcare problems. Yeah. So Jimmy Kimmel recently had a, an infant son born who needed a lot of um, medical interventions. Like heart and, stuff, right? Yes. And this was very, like quite a while ago during one of the earlier um, healthcare fights. He did a monologue um, on his late night show in which he talked about, um, you know, encouraging people to call to make sure that people would be able to retain protections like a lack of lifetime caps and Mm -hmm. things like that, Um, things that would make it overwhelmingly difficult for people to pay for the medical needs of even a baby. Yeah. And I think one of the things that occurs to me, because he's brought this back this week and done a series of monologues. Kind of railing against Cassidy, saying you're wrong and you're lying. Right. Railing against Cassidy, but also really um, becoming, in a weird way, one of the most effective advocates Mm. for people who want to keep some of the protections of Obamacare. And it's interesting to me because Jimmy Kimmel, I think one of the reasons he's been an effective advocate is – Jimmy Kimmel does not come with the baggage of what is dismissively referred to as identity politics, right? Uh. Jimmy Kimmel, if you look back at Jimmy Kimmel's career, the first time a lot of people encountered him was as a kind of a, a somewhat smarmy game show host on Win Ben Stein's Money. Yeah. Yeah. He used oh, to my goodness, be, yeah. He was on the, the game show yeah, Win yeah, Ben yeah. Stein's Money. Then he did a show with Adam Carolla called The Man Show. And Ben was, Stein's a Republican. Exactly. Ben Adam Stein, Carolla is exactly. a libertarian? Adam Carolla is Adam Carolla. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> And, you know, the, the Kimmel and, and Corolla thing was very much like a bro-y He's a bro. sort of yeah. like, a, a you know, they would have women jumping on trampolines at the end of the show. It was like it, it was very much this sort of everybody knows that bros are cool. Yeah. Um, and I think the fact that Jimmy Kimmel does not, you know, Jimmy Kimmel comes into this not pre-identified. As like a liberal snowflake. As like a liberal snowflake. And I think actually there are some you could you could write. An essay about Jimmy Kimmel and Bernie Sanders. I and want you to write the advantages that. that they both have in being uh, standard bearers because of for who progressive they are. ideas because of who they are and who I they aren't. This. All right, Linda, 
You got a story. I do. And this one is actually in my wheelhouse. I have no interest <laughs> in my knowledge of the world being relevant to either nuclear war or healthcare. Um, this one's actually in my wheelhouse. Uh, at the Emmys last Sunday night, the winning drama series was The Handmaid's Tale from Hulu. And Can I confess a thing to you? Absolutely. I couldn't finish Handmaid's Tale. It was too dark. It's dark. It's I very got, dark. I like, five deep, and I said, I got to stop. If you're not familiar with The Handmaid's Tale, it's based on the Margaret Atwood novel. It's a, essentially a dystopian story about a uh, an authoritarian theocracy. And the hand, so The Handmaid's Tale is a very dark and, for a lot of people, very timely story. And it is the first drama series from Hulu that has really made that kind of impact. And there's always a lot of talk about whether – awards really matter to the TV business, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, As with the Oscars, but even more with the Emmys. Does it really matter? Or do people start watching a show they haven't been watching because it won an Emmy? Eh, nobody really knows. But because of the way that the streaming economy is set up, they don't make their money from number of eyeballs on a show. They make their money from subscriptions. So if you're Hulu, it's not a matter of getting more people to individually watch The Handmaid's Tale. It's a matter of the Hulu brand and whether when people are looking at the entire world of entertainment and saying, Mm -hmm. which subscriptions am I going to shell out money for? Yeah. Does the Hulu one seem important enough that people are going to get it? And the goal is that Hulu can say, we got Emmys. We have the best show in the country. Right. You have to subscribe. Right. And the other thing is for people who are heavily, like for people who know more than they should about the TV industry like me, (laughs) um, it's just a delicious story because Netflix was kind of, Netflix and Amazon were much earlier to this kind of prestige originals. Exactly. Yeah. And for a long time, Hulu was kind of this, like, us too, us too. It's where I watched reruns of Scandal. Absolutely. And it's been wonderful for that purpose, if you, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, to be able to watch, like, old episodes of stuff. Yeah. But Hulu was lagging in originals. Yeah. I don't think there's any question. Yeah. And Netflix was pushing so hard yeah. for awards recognition. And Amazon had had it through Transparent. Uh-huh. Amazon has had trouble finding a follow-up to Transparent. But um, Netflix has been just... You know, certainly it was going to be them. They were sure it was going to be them. And then it was Hulu. Netflix has still, that has eluded them. And these companies have a lot of money to acquire shows and movies. I was reading up, uh, Hulu is spending some $2.5 billion on content in 2017. Netflix is spending about $6 billion. Wow. Amazon Prime Video is spending $4.5 billion. They're just buying up TV. But also, even beyond the economics of it, doesn't it seem like actors want to be on things like Netflix and Hulu and Amazon? Like, they're doing some of the most interesting, innovative television, yeah. and they're getting really big stars. Right. So, not to go too deep down this rabbit hole, but... No, do um, it, do but, it. <laughs> but John Landgraf, who's the... Uh, who heads up programming at FX, has talked about this peak TV idea. He's oh, the yeah. one who introduced this phrase, peak TV. And one of the things that he talks about is a shortage of talent, right? Mm. And that if you have too much drama, you know, too many dramas on, you won't have enough talent to support them. That's not really true. What it is this is, is that everybody country. wants the same ones. Oh. And and that's true of writers and directors as well as actors uh-huh. and, and show creators. So uh-huh. when you are Hulu, it's not that you have a shortage of talent. It's that you want to be able to compete for the actors and the show creators mm-hmm. that everybody else also wants. Netflix just got Shonda Rhimes. You know about that. I saw yeah? that, yeah. And And that's what you want. My question, though, is in this increasingly fractured economy of TV where you can watch cable and you can watch the main networks and the main networks have their spinoffs, like the CBS streaming service that offers 
The Good Fight. So yes. good. Or the new Star Trek that's going to be on. That's a really important Talk one. Talk about is that. CBS made the decision to place the new Star Trek series, Star Trek Discovery, just on their streaming platform. They're going to premiere it on regular CBS TV so you can see it. Uh-huh. But after that. It's going to be on the platform. You will have to have this the standalone CBS streaming service in order to see the new Star Trek. And this and like this gives me the central question. One, how do I know what of all these things to pay for? And two, is this just further evidence of a thing that I've been saying for years that like the monoculture is dead? Well, see, there first of all, there never was a monoculture really. And okay. that's one of the things that I always like because if you go out to somebody, it's very easy for me to feel like everybody watched Friends. Everybody but I do feel didn't like everyone Friends, listens right? to Thriller. Everyone watched E.T. There's definitely Everyone. some splintering, right? That's yeah. I agree with that. I it's yeah. it's I just always try to push back against yes, the idea yes, that yes. anything ever was cared about by everyone. True. Because because whatever. Yeah. Anyway. Yes. I think the monoculture, I think it's definitely true that it's harder to find those things that operate as a common currency of mm-hmm. kind of a way to talk about Even things. Even the NFL has lower ratings nowadays. Because people watch more things and because people do things other than watch television, all that stuff. How dare they? I know, right? <laughs> what are they doing? What are they doing? What are yeah. they doing? Last question, Linda, because you have your finger on the pulse at all times. Give us three things to check for this fall. Book, movie, TV, Okay. Um, a movie that I want you to keep an eye out for, and I don't know the exact release date, but a movie that I want to keep your uh, your attention on is a movie called The Florida Project, which okay. is by Sean Baker, who directed Tangerine. Love Tangerine. Tangerine's a great film, was shot on an iPhone. The Florida Project is not shot on an iPhone. Okay. Uh, it is a story of a six-year-old girl and her friends and her single mom who live in a kind of a grungy motel in the shadow of Walt Disney World. Wow. In kind of the shadow economy around Walt okay. Disney World. Uh, book, I'm going to recommend John Hodgman's book, Vacation Land, which is his, you know, kind of his latest, it's thoughts on on Maine and a bunch of other things. Susan yes. summers in Maine sometimes. Yes. We do summer in Maine. <laughs> Maine, is, Maine is known as Vacation Land. Yeah. And, uh, I'm very much looking forward to that book. It comes out late October, I believe. Cool, cool. Uh, and then TV-wise, I'm going to take a risk and tell you. Uh, rather than recommend a new series, I'm going to recommend that you get into NBC's The Good Place, which okay. is uh, in its second season, but it kind of rebooted itself fully. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a wonderful show. You can catch up on it on Netflix um, or on demand on various, I'm sure, streaming platforms, whatever. The first season was about a woman who found herself in heaven who wasn't supposed to be there. It stars Kristen Bell, Ted Danson. Uh, it's a very, very good show. I'm not going to tell you any more about it, Okay, but you should watch it. All right. Time for one more quick break. When we come back, who said that? And the best things that have happened to you, our listeners, all week. Support for It's Been a Minute and the following message come from the Platinum Card from American Express. There's a great big world out there, and no other card lets you experience it like the Platinum Card. Backed by the service and security of American Express. Support also comes from NBC, featuring the premiere of Megyn Kelly Today, a new morning show offering exclusive interviews, stories to inspire you, and the day's top news along with thought-provoking conversation. If you're in the New York area and want to attend a live show, visit today.com slash mktodayaudience. Megyn Kelly Today, weekdays at 9 a.m. on NBC. Before we get back to the show, if you are looking for a new podcast to try, try out Planet Money. One thing people say about Planet Money is how much they love listening to it, even though they don't care about business or economics. Like me. 
It's explanatory journalism at its best for a time that really needs some sane reporting to focus on the big questions. You can find Planet Money on NPR One or wherever you get your podcast. All right, we are back. It is time for my favorite game. It's called... Ooh, and they saying that. Who said that? It's so simple. I share a quote from the week. You guys have to guess who said that. The winner gets absolutely nothing. (laughs) You guys ready? I'm ready. All right. First quote is, I'm rooting for everybody black. Who said that? Uh, That's Issa Rae. Yeah. (laughs) That's Issa Rae. Yes. Star of HBO's Insecure on the red carpet. carpet. Uh, She looked fantastic. She's in a gorgeous red dress. You should Google it. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So that's her. So funnily enough, a listener to the show actually asked her that question. Audrey Cleo Yap. She was working for Variety on the red carpet. Oh, my gosh. She posed the question to Issa. uh, And when Issa was asked who she's rooting for at the Emmys, she said... All the black ones. There was some blowback, of course, of to a course. statement like that. But Audrey, uh, the journalist from Variety, she kind of said, I'm cool with it. Here's Audrey. I go back to the sports analogy. When your team is rarely in the playoffs and rarely recognized, it's okay to root for your team. That was Audrey Cleo with Variety. Thank you, Audrey. And I, sh- and I should add, uh, for Issa Rae, Donald Glover, who won for Directing Atlanta, was the first black director to win for Directing a Comedy. And Lena Waithe, who co-won with Aziz Ansari for writing the Thanksgiving episode of Master of None, was the first black woman to win for writing comedy. Also Riz Ahmed. Yes. And the fact that it, it took so long to uh, get those awards to happen is wonderful for those people and very embarrassing for the Emmys. There you go. Um, also, quick plug, Lena Waithe, who we all saw win for Master of None. She was my first long interview for this podcast. Check out my chat with her. She was delightful. It is uh, in wherever you get your podcast. Yep. We also I, talked to her for Pop Culture Up. Yeah, did. the live show. Two good chats. Yep. She's fun. Mm, she's wonderful. I like her. Next quote. You're trying hard not to show it, but Barbara, Barbara, you know it. You've lost that centrist feeling because you've been right-wing appealing. Who said that? This that ad. Dan Helmer, yes. I believe is his name. Yes, yes. This is a congressional candidate in Virginia's 10th district running against Barbara Comstock. He put out this ad where he's in a bar and him and a few other people uh, twist the words around to you've lost that loving feeling to make fun of Comstock. It's V-Bag. It's off of Top Gun, right? You know yes. this, Sam. You're yes. old enough to know this, yes. right? Top Gun take? was a movie in the 80s. Whoa! <laughs> Never hold town halls anymore with constituents. Planned Parenthood and Obamacare you voted against. You're trying hard not to show it. I just feel like it. I, maybe they were trying to make it that bad. I also, you guys are right. I didn't know it was Top Gun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you have to watch that movie. This Come clean, Sam Sanders. Years ago. Years Come ago. clean, Sam Sanders. All right. So I think it worked in that the hardest thing to do when you're a nobody political candidate is, is to break through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that ad broke through. And I think I'm certain that whoever made that ad, that was their intention. Yeah. They they wanted it to go viral. This is not a, it was three minutes long. You don't put well, that on, on television. It went viral like meningitis. The question is, is it good viral? <laughs> does that get people to talk about him, right? Does they yeah. and start to listen to what he has to say? Or does it become the thing of parody? If you remember uh Christine O'Donnell, who was like one of the, the witch tea ad. party Yes, yeah. exactly. And she one of the oppo hits against her is that she had participated in some witchcraft or wicked <laughs> and she ran a response ad and in it she said 
says, I'm not a witch. And it was seen, it went viral and it was seen as sort of like a, a response, but then it, oh, it also caricatured her. Yes. It didn't allow people to yes. take her seriously. And I don't know which way this one goes, but if the intention was to get people to talk, it worked. It worked. I want a little more Sam Sanders infectious disease humor. <laughs> viral meningitis. It's a thing. All right, last one. We don't check what people say before they say it. And frankly, I don't think society wants us to. Who said that? Facebook? Is it Zuckerberg? Y'all are good today. I was going to say Kellyanne Conway. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, it could be so many people, but so I want to guess people. it's Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg said this in a Facebook Live video on Thursday. He was addressing this whole controversy that's kind of built up over Facebook during the campaign season last year, selling ads to several fake Russian accounts, some $100,000 in ads. Since this has come public... Zuckerberg has said that Facebook will turn over those ads to Congress. He also says Facebook will, quote, strengthen our ad review process for political ads and also use an even higher standard of transparency than exists for TV and other media. Here's my thing with Zuck. While this is happening, they could have fixed this months ago. Instead, I've had two Facebook app updates in the meantime. (laughs) Like, they're focused on the aesthetics and the imaging of this company. And a lot of folks, myself included, feel like they aren't handling the basics like this, like mm-hmm. hate speech. Mm-hmm. you got to fix that, Mark, before you take this, you know, bus tour around America. Yeah. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to take a little bit of a different view on okay. this because I think when you're talking about a company that's product in a lot of ways is speech. Mm-hmm. As an American and as a journalist, I think we need to be kind of cautious and slow moving and wary about allowing companies that have billions of people around the world, yeah. but hundreds of millions of Americans or millions of Americans yeah. engaging in speech. And what is what is speech? What is free speech? And who gets to decide? And do private companies get to decide? Get to decide? Yeah. I think it creates very complicated legal questions where viscerally I get you, right? Like you <laughs> see stuff on Facebook and you're like, why, is this, why is this here? But I think from the bigger philosophical legal reasons that this needs to be a very thoughtful, nuanced debate and not something that we just let Facebook decide political speech in this country. Okay. Yeah. And I think this has been muddied a little bit by the perception, whether it's accurate or not, that Zuckerberg has political aspirations. Because seems like it. I think you are familiar, probably, Sam, with the tweet from your friend and mine, PJ Vote, who said watching Mark Zuckerberg try to like subtly get into politics <laughs> is like watching someone try to drunkenly shoplift an air conditioner, <laughs> which is one of my favorite lines of the last year. Um, um, and I and I think whether or not there have been other people who have said, no, that's not accurate. He's really trying to talk to people in the country okay. for business reasons. But whether that's true or not, I think the fact that he's perceived to be trying to get into politics has made it harder for people to know exactly and it makes people how like to me read. Hypercritical. Yes. It makes exactly. me hypercritical to think that he might be running for office because exactly. I'm like, oh, once you get into that mode, I'm holding your feet yeah. to the fire. And cynical about his motives. Yes. Mm-hmm. Who won this game? I wasn't keeping score. It doesn't matter. You're getting nothing. <laughs> so we'll split it. Split yeah. it. Split 50, it. 50 All right. All right. All right. Linda, Sue, you're almost out of here. But first, a plug for our episode on Tuesday. Uh, someone who was a delight to talk with, Prentice Penny. He's a showrunner oh. of HBO's Insecure. Oh. And I just felt like he was like my bro at the end of the conversation. We talked about that show, his previous work on shows like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Happy Endings. Uh, we also talked about how he likes Drake even though I don't and we butted heads a bit over Drake but we're still friends that'll be up you get some real talk on Insecure Peak TV Black TV 
How to Upgrade Your Life. Prentice went there. Check your feeds Tuesday. All right. All right. With that, let's end the weekly wrap the way we always do. Each week, we ask our listeners to send us a recording of them sharing the best things that happened to them all week. We encourage them to brag. We've got some of that audio here. Brent, play the tape. Hey, y'all. My name is Jamel Thomas. Last month, I left everything in North Alabama because I was offered a job that I could not refuse 10 miles from the Gulf. Southern hospitality is real. These are some of the (laughs) kindest people I've ever met. And the best thing that happened to me this week is that I closed on my home and I am calling you because I am an official resident of L.A. Yeah. Lower Alabama, baby. (laughs) Y'all take care. Love the show. (laughs) Hi, Sam. This is Tito from London. The best thing that happened to me this week was spending some quality time with both of my grandmothers who I love so dearly and I don't get to see very often. Yeah. I just found out a few hours ago that I passed my exam to become a board certified behavior analyst. This past Sunday, um, I ran my first official 5k in 31 minutes. Okay. After eight months out of work uh, with breast cancer, I just finished my type rating in the Airbus 320, and I'm going back to work as a captain, and I get to fly airplanes again. Do it. I'm Alex. And I'm Thea. And we're best friends, and we're calling Calling from from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Yeah. The best thing happened to me this week is that I got my braces off, and my grandmother came home from surgery. Yay! That's awesome. It's a big week. The best thing that happened to me this week was treating myself out for my 25th birthday on a trip to Paris, France. Hi, Sam Sanders. This is Sarah from Houston. I'm a medical student, and the best thing that happened to me this week was that I got to deliver my first baby. It was so beautiful and moving, and the strength of these new moms always inspires me. Yeah. Hi, my name is Lulu Garcia Navarro, and the best thing in my week was finding and bringing home this puppy called Kiko, who's three months old and was abandoned after Hurricane Irma, and my daughter, who's four years old, has been going crazy. It was just the most beautiful thing to introduce them to each other. Oh, Lulu. Cutest dog. Hey, Sam, this is Ian from Denver, Colorado, and the best thing that happened to me this week was that my girlfriend and I climbed our first 14er. 14,000 feet? I think so. Wow. And on the way back down, uh, she asked to take a picture. So she went to set up the camera and then she came over and got down on one knee and (gasps) proposed to me. What? Little did she know uh, that I also had a ring in my pocket. (gasps) So in response, I just got down and proposed right back to her. Yes. Be on the show. yes. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. I've never heard a story <laughs> like that before. Hi Sam, my name is Nate. I am seven. <sighs> I'm from Bristol, England. Oh my god. The best thing that happened to me all week is me making my dream sandwich. <gasps> Bye. Dream sandwich. Dream you know how question? You know how Lulu brought home that puppy? Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm bringing home that small British child. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that last one was sent to us by Nate's mom, Lauren. She wrote to us and said, He made his dream sandwich as part of a school project. For clarification, it is seeded bread, tuna, ham, tomatoes, lettuce, cheese, and sunflower seed butter. Oh, my gosh. She writes, this might even be the best thing to happen to him all year. He loves sandwiches. Who doesn't? Mm. Who doesn't? 
find you a boo who loves you the way Nate loves sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> he loves dream sandwiches. Yes. All right. Also, thanks to Jamel, Tito, Maddie, Corey, Malady, Annie, Charlotte, Alex, and Thea, Nancy, Sarah, Ian, and our own Lourdes Garcia Navarro. I met that puppy that she rescued. Also, check out Lulu's story about that puppy Sunday on Weekend Edition Sunday on the radio. All right. Brent and I listen to all of these that come in. We wish we had time to play all of them. But know that when you hit send on those emails, it lands in our inbox, and we hear it, and we read it, and we cry at our desk. Thank you all for sharing those. If you want to share your best thing all week, you can do so at any time throughout the week. Just record yourself and email the file to samsanders at npr.org. Okay, mama, we made it. Cue Mariah. She's got the range. The show this week was edited by Jeff Rogers and Steve Nelson. Refresh your feed Tuesday morning for Prentice Penny. Sue, Linda, thank you guys. Mariah, thank you for your body of work. Brent, oh, shout out. Brent's back from vacation. He was in Mexico where he also got engaged. Aww. Aww. We love love on this podcast. We love love. All about the love. Yes, Brent and Acacia. I've already told them that I'm going to plan the whole wedding because I want to. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. Bye. 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 I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. Keeping your hands in the air like you just don't care. Don't be a liar. Would you change your attire? Get a farm like Hillshire with a honey like Mariah. Escape to the ranch. Ride a horse. Then come back to the city. Pushing the Rolls Royce.